because he gave each of the, the, the grandsons a 16th birthday present, like a trip. Mm-hmm. And my brother went fishing and I said to him, I wanted to go hunting. And he said, are you sure? And we started talking about it. And for one reason or another, he wrote then this letter to me. And the letter starts, dear Robbie, it was indeed a surprise to hear that you're keen to become a hunter. It must be, quote unquote, in the blood. I'm glad that you broached the subject yourself. Otherwise, I might have been accused of leading you astray. (laughs) And you would have thought that the rest of the letter would have been all poetical, you know, you know, about, you know, what hunting means and, you know, why he does it. No, the rest of the letter is all about gun safety. (laughs) Um, Practical. Like any good grandpa. (laughs) Yeah. Typical, right? It's just like, and he talks about, you know, hunting is an exciting and healthy sport. You'll be spending days in fresh air, have the opportunity to see countries, forests, plains, mountains, and wetlands. Quite different to the confined tennis courts or the same 19 holes of golf. The latter you can start playing at 60. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. You're Tim. And you're Matt. And I'm excited, we got a good one today. We got the origins of the blood. Mm, you it's made it very, sound real spooky. Very foreboding. We got Robbie Kroger from Blood Origins. And those guys are really making waves and really kind of uh, advancing advancing the interests of hunters. And, and not just here and issues here in America or North America in general, it's all over the world. It's, people hunt in other places. A lot of hunting, Tim. Huh. Actually, well, actually, I guess it depends where you're at. So I, I really, I don't know. I've been following him for a few years. First I heard of him was, I think it was maybe cuz Strickland, I think blood origins did something with cuz. And then I started mm-hmm. following him. And then in general, it's almost become my news source or one of the places kind of a trusted place that I can go on Instagram to get uh, information about things that are happening in the world as it pertains to the outdoors or or issues that, that whether it's gun rights or whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. these guys kind of got their fingers uh, on the pulse of, of, what's happening in the world. So uh, I'm excited to jump into it. Yeah. And Robbie's going to bring an international flair. That's right. He's got, he's got a cool accent that you and I cannot. I wish I had an accent. (laughs) Duplicate. So someday I doubt it. All right. right, Let's get to our shout outs. Shall we? All right. Josh Schneider on DeerCast said, Hey boys, don't give up yet on your turkey hunting. Good luck, Matt. And good luck, Tim. I wish the best turkey season to both of you. What he doesn't know, we both killed. I guess we'll talk next week about it. That's right. So we both actually got lucky. Imagine that. That's right. We killed turkeys. So let's just be clear. Let's just move along to the next thing here. <laughs> all right. Patrick McDaniel from YouTube. He says, not going to lie. Can't wait for all the kids to go back to school. My high school kid neighbor and his buddy have hunted a lot, adding to pressure. Don't get me wrong. I would be doing the same thing. LOL stands for laugh out loud. Thank you. But go, but go back to school. I want to kill some too. LOL. He says a cuss word. And then he says COVID. I'm not gonna so he's got hunting pressure from kids who aren't who, who are supposed to be studying remotely right now, and he's ready for them to go back to their. Buildings. It's funny because last year, like just as the pandemic hit, and like everybody was at home, but not everybody. Blue collar guys. There's a lot of guys that still had to work. Uh-huh, every yeah. essential workers. But I'm saying, generally speaking, a lot of people's 
kids were off school. Everybody hunted <laughs> so turkey mm-hmm. hunting last year. Yep. I was like, shit, I ain't got nothing else to do. Let's <laughs> <All right>. just hunt. <laughs> I'm going to take my teleconferences from the blind. Yeah. Sounds like he's still living that life. Uh, right? Yep. <laughs> right yeah. And he's ready for the kids to not be living it. Yeah. Can't blame him. No. So, uh, so let's, let's bring our guest Robbie Kroger on from Blood Origins. Robbie, thanks for making the time to hop on today. Well, I, you know, the introduction that you just gave me, I, if the audience can see, I'm blushing as a, as a South African. And unfortunately, Tim, you'll never have as cool an accent as I have. No, <laughs> I just, no, he will not. I just mispronounce things a lot. That's all I got going for me. <laughs> you could start talking with a twang if you want. I, I would love to have a Southern accent. Yeah. Every time I, I listen to Cuz talk, I just want to, I want to do that. That's right. So, so Robbie, give us, give us kind of a background for viewers or our listeners that may not be familiar with blood origins. Kind yeah. of give us your background. You have a PhD. PhD, give us background on what, what your story is and then how Blood Origins came to be. Yeah, so I came to the States in 2003 to do a PhD and uh, essentially never left. Met my wife at Ole Miss, when did a PhD at Ole Miss, was a professor in the Wildlife Fisheries Department at Mississippi State for six years, sort of working in the wildlife fisheries interface. And uh, that's when I sort of got... Well, when I was at Ole Miss, that's when I got introduced to hunting. And, you know, it's interesting. People think coming from South Africa, I should have been this great hunter, right? I should have hunted all these magnificent animals. And unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to hunt because I was raised in a town of eight and a half million people, Mm. just like being raised in New York or Los Angeles. My family, just like people's families in New York and Los Angeles, probably I was steeped in hunting heritage. My grandfather moved to Mozambique in the 50s, hunted the heyday of Africa. And when I say the heyday of Africa, I'm talking 50s, 60s, early 70s. That was the prime African hunting. That was the stories that are told, the capstick stories that is Africa. My grandfather lived it. And my father was a teenage boy in those days. And so he was the camp boy. And so he hunted everything. For his 16th birthday present, he was given a Cape Buffalo. And so really all I had was stories. I had the written word that my grandfather wrote. And you can see behind me, I've got the trophies on the wall for my grandfather. And that was it. And so when I came to America and started interacting with people and getting to know friends and naturally in Mississippi, people hunt. And I had a six foot five, 250 pound redneck friend who said, do you want to go hunting? And I said, oh yeah, sounds like something I would like to do. And I had to go get my student, ed- my hunter education class, which if anybody that's a late adult onset hunter realizes that is the most frustrating class in the world because you sit there with a bunch of 12 year olds <laughs> and you listen to a law enforcement officer try to impress 12 year olds about hunting stories. And you're like, dude, just, I need to get this thing done and out. And then I was given a lawn chair past my hunter's education. I was given a lawn chair. I was given a semi-automatic 308 <laughs> and I was stuck under a cedar tree and I was told if something comes by, shoot it. <laughs> mm. What and were you hunting? Deer? Whitetail. Yeah, yeah. whitetail. And were that was my introduction sh- to hunting. Were you wearing and I shorts? actually should have had a very auspicious... Sorry, go ahead, Tim. I talked I, over I, you. I was just going to ask if you're wearing shorts. It seems like whenever I see guys hunting in Africa, they're all wearing shorts. Short shorts. Very <laughs> short. Shorts. Like you see the pockets. Short shorts. <laughs> No, I was in uh, my properly attired Walmart camo that I went to pay, that paid, you know, an extraordinary amount of money for as a PhD student. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, it's interesting that first hunt and legitimately it was my first hunt ever. Nothing came by. And so I walked out a different way. And as I was walking out, out steps a buck on the road in front of me. And knowing deer now, it was probably a 120 class for Mississippi Hills was an amazing deer. I lifted the gun up, put the scope right where I needed to go and pulled the trigger and it went click. And Oops. the deer looked at me and ran off. And I walked up to my friend and I said, there's something wrong with your gun. This thing doesn't work. And he took the same bullet and he racked the gun, raised it up, shot, bullet went off. And I said, what the heck? And he goes, what did you do? And I said, well, you told me to be quiet. So when I, when I, I pulled that action back, because it was a semi-automatic 308, I just mm -hmm. eased it forward. Mm. And I probably left a, a hairline uh, piece of uh, a gap. Anyway, that has followed me through my hunting career in terms of I should have known right then and there the kinds of storytelling that would come from my hunting escapades. <laughs> That's a, a long way to say that I started really wanting to hunt more and I wanted to hunt different things outside of the state. And I was trying to figure out what that meant and who could do it. And I couldn't really find anything that was tapping into like the reason why people hunted. I had two small boys at the time. And so they were starting to, I was starting to take them out of the woods and I was like, all right, I need to tell them, I need to communicate to them why we're doing this thing. We're not doing it just to kill animals. So why do we do it? And so I started looking for inspiration. I couldn't find it. And so I decided to build it. And so I built Blood Origins on the idea of understanding why someone hunts. That's why it started the way that it started. Mm. That's why you saw the beginning, the Cuz Strickland of the world, the Lake Pickle of the world, the Will Primus of the world, the Polly Anderson of the world. It was all about the heart of a hunter. And it was filmed very differently. We purposely set out. I wanted it to look different. I wanted, to do, I wanted it to be uncomfortable. When you watch it, I want someone to really peer into the soul of that person through the eyes of that individual. And I want it to be emotional and I want it to be vulnerable. And I wanted to have all these things that somehow the hunting industry had forgotten about. And that's where we started. And over the last four years, it's evolved. And it's evolved to now being... In the beginning, it was selfish, right? It was for me. Like, I wanted to tell people stories. And I got to meet some really cool people. Then it evolved to, man, this, this project shouldn't be built for hunters. It should be built for the non-hunting majority. Like, mm -hmm. the people who really need to understand who hunters are. And so, that's where it morphed to. And now, today, now that we are a non-for-profit charity that we turned Blood Origins into last year, uh, because... My wife wanted a savings account back, essentially, because here's the reason. And you laugh, and I was laughing until my wife said, you need to make this thing sustainable next year, otherwise it's gone. Mm. Because we'd refuse to, we refused to bow to the model that the industry had created. And no offense to Drury Outdoors, but you know, no offense to anyone. But I wasn't going to take any money from anyone. I wasn't going to take money from a camo company, a gun company, a bullet company. I wasn't going to take any money from them because then the project, this thing that was for us, our community, was going to belong to someone. I envy that. 
I envy that. That's not something, you know, we're so deep into it. You couldn't, you know, we'd love to be, be in a world that one day we wouldn't have to rely on partners. We could have partnerships, but not have to rely on partners, you know, cause that is the model and it's a, it is tough. You're right. It's, it's a tough thing to be in. So I, I admire what you're doing here. But, but the model's okay for you, Matt, because you're building content for hunters. Mm-hmm. I'm not building content for hunters. Yeah. I'm building content for non-hunters so that they can see who we are. And I didn't want anyone to mess with the message. I didn't want anyone to have a say about the message. And the little pieces and jobs that we did to make ends meet, they had a very strong opinion about what the message needed to be. And I hated it. Mm-hmm. And so we turned ourselves again into a nonprofit last year. And uh we, you know, as we've, and we, and, uh, and that last morph has occurred, which is now our mission statement is conveying the truth about hunting. And so when you do, when you see our episodes, so if we did an episode on Matt and you saw Matt's heart, Matt's communicating to other hunters. Okay. Other hunters will look at it. They'll get, uh, hopefully we're making them think, because I think the more that hunters think in this world that we live in today, the social media world, the better it will be for hunting thinking will save hunting. So that's a good thing for the hunting community. But the non-hunter who has a perception or an idea of what a hunter is supposed to be, outside of even knowing a hunter, they've got a perception. This is one way for us to communicate to them, hey, you don't know a hunter, here are 60 hunters that I want you to watch you'll find that all of them sort of say very different things, but none of them say the thing that you think we're about. And you had Matt on your show? No, no, no. I no, joined no. him on his podcast. This is di- two diff- different things, different pe- They have all kinds of pieces of content that they put out there. Right? I was using Matt as an example. Yeah. Yeah. So Primos or just a, a blue collared individual, hunters. You know, famous, <laughs> not famous, doesn't matter. So we tell the heart and then the, the other side of the coin is the proof that we call the proof and the truth, which is what does hunting and hunters do for people and wildlife really around the world? You know, what has, what has hunting done for the North American wildlife populations as they stand today? Not many people, not many non-hunters realize, actually not many hunters realize mm-hmm. that white-tailed deer went from 300,000 to 30 million. Why? Yeah. PNR, really. That's all. Pittman and Robertson established that and, and, you know, hunter dollars and hunter efforts. So that's really a long-winded answer to a very short question that you asked at the beginning, which is, what did we get? How did we get here? And, you know, why Blood Origins? Well, Robbie, one of the things that I'm wondering about is how, so, I mean, you kind of alluded to, we kind of have an echo chamber here and we need to step out. We need to put a stone mm-hmm. in people's shoes. How do you, and, and, and obviously not being tethered by sponsorships and things like that is one of the ways, but how do you actually reach non-hunters who might be receptive or at least open, haven't made up their mind that you could maybe influence? Yeah. You know, I get that question a lot. And I and I often get it from people that are in the outdoor industry world, like the marketing model guys, like, how are you reaching those non-hunters? It's the same way you're reaching hunters. They're in that digital community. 
Mm-hmm. It's not like you're cherry picking hunters. That's who I interact with. It's just a matter of exposing those communities. So if, what the way that we think about it is everyone that we interact with, whether it's a hunter or a non-hunter, and let's just call it 80% hunters, is a pivot to an entire community that surrounds them that includes non-hunters. And so the more that those people can can take the content and purposely put it into those pockets of those communities, the more we interact with non-hunters. And it's amazing. We get, you know, every every other day, say, there's a DM or there's a a comment or there's a something or there's a screenshot. I get that a lot. I get a lot of screenshots from people that say, hey, this is a non-hunter. And they're like, wow, I never realized this about you. And it was about that person's episode, say. You bring up a great point. I think mostly there's there's an issue of uh, uh, just a lack of education and and like if, if someone's in a different sector than me, I unless I have some kind of vested personal interest, I'm not going to go actively seek out w- what their impact on the condition of X is. Someone has to be kind of the evangelist and go to them, and that's probably where we've fallen short in, in the in the outdoor community, uh, because I think there are probably more people that are ready to be influenced. They just they're not going to proactively go out and do that. Hunters are not evangelists. Hunters live in a closet, and we close that closet door as tightly as we possibly can. And when it gets ripped open and we get punched in the nose, that's when we storm out and we fight back and then we go back into our closet. Mm-hmm. Leave us alone. Don't want to talk about that. Yet why not flip the model? Why not do what the antis do against us? Why not do what the HSUS does against us or Peter does against us? Why not let's fundraise and take out some billboards in Los Angeles, one of the big freeways coming into Los Angeles and have a father and son saying building character of young men and it's a hunting mm-hmm. scene. Doesn't have to have a kill shot in it. That's evangelizing. Like you just said, that's thinking outside the box of like, how do we change perceptions around who we are? Yeah. And, and you're touching on like you're activating emotion and, and, the, and, and we, we are, we tend to be very, Binary, black and white. Here are the dollars that we we contribute to conservation. Here are the number. Here's the population dynamics. But really, what people make decisions based on emotion. And so I'm glad I'm glad you're finally <laughs> leveraging that aspect of the human condition because that's really what's gonna change. I mean, emotion, and then you have. Uh, you have kind of the um, the thinking and the action, like you, that's typically the, the sequence that it goes in. But I, I think you found the secret recipe in activating a person's emotion. And it's not like, it's not manipulating people. It's showing the actual truth it's behind mm-hmm. the experience. It's making them think, yeah. you know, they've been fed one thing forever. And, and as much as hunters are in this echo chamber, so are non-hunters. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So I, I think, you know, I think even like the movie Jim Limbator's trying to mm-hmm. put together. Sure. Oh, what, what's the, harvest? the Harvest. The Harvest. I, I mean, I think to an extent, it hits on what Robbie's talking about here. It's trying in a much different way to open other people's minds to say, you know what, if you were on the fence, like here's the experience, here's what the experience, because every hunter would say it's not about the kill. That's not the reason why we hunt. I, I, I mean, 
I would think majority of hunters would say that. It's like, shit, I love being outdoors. I love spending time with my friends and my family and I love eating it. I love, you know, there's all these other rewards. The, the actual moment of pulling the trigger or releasing the arrow or that's this tiny fragment in time. It doesn't happen very often for you Of the full circle, right? Uh-huh. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I love what, what these guys are doing because it's, it's needed and we don't do a great job of, of it. And, and I know that's a, um, a shortcoming, but we're in this model. It's hard to get out of. And I think Robbie's really got, uh, something special to, to build on. Yeah. And I think we've got to remember that we're not trying to sugarcoat anything, right? Like to your point, I may argue, I actually may argue that hunting is about killing because otherwise you'd be going for a hike. (laughs) Sure. And so, but it's the nuance of what that means, right? That there's a finality to, to the exercise, the lifestyle that we undertake, and the finality of that is killing. But if you look at the data, and here's where you start bringing, we, we sort of blend emotions and data, and I'll use two examples uh, together to sort of form the rationale, is that you do all these other things associated with hunting that we know that we get things out of. It's the physical, the mental, the food, you know, all those kinds of things. And you can bring that across with emotion. But when somebody goes, what you guys just, you just hunt because you like to kill. And it's like, well, no, we do it for all these other reasons. And they're like, well, that doesn't, I don't believe you. I was like, well, okay, then let's look at the data. And when you look at whitetail hunters in the US, uh, less than 50% of all whitetail license holders in the US kill one deer doesn't mean that we're bad hunters which is what i've been told Tim. by with that infographic <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're but not, what it know. does is it says hey it might not be all about killing if only 50 percent of the license holders are actually killing one deer if you go to canada the percentage of people are even less than that it's like 36 percent and the percentage to kill two deer in a season is about one percent so that's a data rich argument but back to someone who says you're a killer well then if they push it one step further you can add in one more layer of emotional rationale which is okay let's assume i enjoy killing that's why i do it so let me pose the scenario to why would i go halfway around the world spend two days traveling sleep on a hard ground spend fifty thousand dollars at the chance of killing something versus going down the street to my local abattoir and killing everything I could possibly want to kill at no cost to the abattoir because I love to kill. What is an abattoir? Oh, you don't know? A house, a chicken house, a beef slaughterhouse. Come on, Tim. I mean, I was just asking Come for on, the benefit Tim, of our the word listeners. I, I use abattoir every day. I'm really sorry about this, Robbie. <laughs> I live no, on look, abattoir That F. could be your wildlife word of the day. It uh, was, man. <laughs> God dang it. Now we lost that whole segment. <laughs> it was sponsored. Robbie. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, I, I totally derailed that by asking the, no, the, no, the word, but, but a hundred percent. I mean, the, the times that we actually kill are so few and far between, but the context and the effort required to be in these places, to just have the opportunity belie the truth that no, it's the kill is part of it, but it's not the sum total of it at all. It, the, the facts just don't add up to that. 
So let me ask this question because you guys at the beginning of the segment mentioned that uh, you've been struggling in the turkey woods. Would you be able to – here's, here's a very good piece of data. How many – let's assume the trigger pull is a minute in time. Okay. How many minutes did you spend hunting versus killing? Oh, it's incalculable. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I usually shoot once a year. <laughs> Actually, twice. Once to make sure the gun's still on before the season. <laughs> One more time when a bird steps out. Oh, the, the, the ratio would be, would be just insane. So what are we talking? 50 hours? Oh, for turkey season? I, I've probably hunted maybe 18 plus hours. I've probably hunted, and this has been a, a slow season. Like I haven't gone much. So I went opening day, let's say 6 a.m. till 1, one. and then another f- three, four hours. And then the last day when I killed, we ended up hunting till 11. So another f- three or four hours. So I don't Somewhere know. Somewhere short of 20-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a, this was a slow season. Like I didn't get out hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Really? You look at a guy like Terry though, the him and Forrest hunt like almost every morning, at least for a few hours and they've had a tough season. So you're looking at like weeks of hunting every day for say four hours mm-hmm. on an average. Okay. Robbie, you made us do math now and what? showed people how bad so we are. Like, so the ratio is like 1200 to one. 1,200 minutes to that one minute of shooting. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it seems, seems about right. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it seems ridiculous, you, but it's, it means there's something behind it, right? Yeah. There's, there's, this, there's this meaning behind that statistic that is, again, to be simplistic about it, it can't be all about killing. Deer hunting would be even more ridiculous because that's oh, months, four yeah. month season yeah. and hours and hours and hours. Like I would hate to think what the ratio is for deer hunting. That's not, <laughs> it's way worse than turkey hunting. But Robbie, you bring up an interesting point earlier. I think we were starting to go down this path in that it would have someone says they enjoy killing because a part of me, it, it's very gratifying. Like it doesn't make me happy. Like that's too, you know, that's too one dimensional of an emotion. I was pretty happy when I shot that bird the other day. And, and, and so, and, and, and that, that's your experience. And, yeah. and, and for me, it's a, it's a complex, it's a, it's a very complex range of multiple emotions in one, in one shot. Uh, but it's very gratifying for me. Yes. And, and, and I, and I don't think we have to be ashamed of that, of that. Although I think we do kind of shy away from talking about that well, aspect. That's why experience. we say harvest more than kill anymore. And that really upsets a lot of people within our wall, you know, within the hunting community that's like, Oh, it's a kill. It's you're not pulling something out of the ground, you know, but that's one of those things that we've done to kind of help shield the reality of it to the outside world. So Maybe that's that, not the right thing. Yeah. Has that been a net gain or a loss for us, Robbie? No, I think, so let me ask you a couple of questions. When you say you love the kill and, and, and Matt, you said you were ecstatic when you killed that bird. Were you truly, did you truly love the fact that you killed it? Or was it the fact that all those hours and all the time and the, the strategy and 
the the play by play, the thing that really gets your heart racing. Because let me I'll just ask that. So what was it? Was it was it the, the latter. happiness of the death, or was it the happiness of the other? It's not the happiness of the death, it's the happiness of holy crap, this worked. It's like it was an exciting moment. My buddy and I, we both shot one, two, three, shoot, and we killed two birds at the same time. It happened right off the roost. Like I couldn't believe it worked the way we thought it might work. Like, so it was the ecstatic nature of like experiencing it with <laughs> friends we both shot it was a rare it you know rare to us thing to to shoot two birds at the same time like a plan came together for a couple guys that that rarely happened so i think i was ecstatic about the the facts around the context yeah and so when a non-hunter sees a kill a trophy shot and and I, i absolutely agree with you we shouldn't be ashamed of killing that's why i think i just got my hunting fool uh, magazine yesterday and I wrote an article that says in defense of killing. We've got a truth segment that says in defense of killing because that is the finality of what we do and we need to be able to defend the kill. The problem is we cannot defend the kill if someone says I love to kill. Well, I don't believe that's true. I do not believe that you love to kill because mm-hmm. if you did, you'd be down at the local slaughterhouse yeah. taking care of the chickens. Yeah. You, what you love is the hunt. And the kill is the finality of the hunt. And it's being able to communicate it that way that will explain it to a non-hunter. And being able to put context to the picture, the trophy picture, uh, showing respect to the animal, you know, cleaning it up, not being idiots, not showing that, oh, okay, okay, you managed to shoot a turkey's head off with a broad head. Great. That's amazing. That's, you're a, an amazing bow hunter. Do not show the world that you shot the turkey's head off. Be respectful. Don't you, you, we're trying to show, you can show your buddies. Send that thing to your buddies. Don't put it into the world that potentially when you post that picture will hurt hunting. And so that's another thing we always ask is just in the thinking process, is what I'm about to do going to help or hurt hunting? Not for you, because that's being selfish. For your kids and your grandkids one day. Yeah, if someone's on the line, what's that image gonna tell them? If they're they're like, eh, I don't really care about hunting mm-hmm. one way or the other, but man, I saw this and geez, that seems really gory, or this guy seemed to really get off on this. Like, uh, maybe I'm not for hunting. There's an old an older word that it was used a lot in kind of the Christian church, and it it, it the word is winsome. And it's like, you should live a life that is winsome, that you almost like you win people to your side by the way that you live and behave and speak. And it's too bad that word has fallen out of favor because that's, we need that in in the hunting community. Like we need to not just be thinking, well, this is my right and I can say this and I can show this. That could be said about a lot of things, not just the hunting community. (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent. So Robbie, from your perspective, we've talked about a few things that we're doing wrong as, uh, as, as individuals. If obviously if people are listening to the show right now, they're hunters, what can we be doing more of and what can we be doing less of to help our cause? You know, I, I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I, I think the tide is turning. I think that there are a lot of people out there that recognize that they want to show and portray and the imagery is getting better and people are thinking more. And all those things are things that I think we can do, you know, 
every day we can think more. We can always ask the question, does this help or hurt hunting? Um, and I think the social media space is a very unique space for this generation. And what social media, unfortunately, removes is the personal exchange in which people show a little bit of manners in, in the interaction with one another. And so, again, from a blood origins perspective, someone has, has called us gentlemanly mm. when we interact with people because we don't, we don't make assumptions. So don't make assumptions when someone says something. Don't immediately. And look, I'm the first person that does it. I have a major problem when, when someone says something, I take it very personally and I think it's an attack on me. It happens to me every day, multiple times a day. It's not. And you've just got to think about it differently and say, okay, well, why is this person coming at me like this? Is it because my image is terrible? Or was it because I didn't give any context? Mm -hmm. And it happens to us as well. Somebody says something and, I, and you have to reflect back on it and go, wow, I didn't give the context. Wow, that was the wrong image to put up there. So, and ask questions. It's okay to ask questions, but then also remember that they can't, in that social media space, they cannot feel what you're trying to communicate, the feeling of that text comment. So we like to infuse things like, hey, this is just an open comment. This is an open question. I'm curious. Or, you know, I mean no disrespect here. But what about this? Or what about that? I appreciate the dialogue. I appreciate the discussion. Thank you for your comment. Thank you for interacting. So you're almost being, again, over-flattering. Mm -hmm. But you have to be that way because they can't see you. They can't see your mannerisms. They can't, they can't feel your emotion. All they're getting is the text on the screen. Yeah. And that, that uh, you've been using the word thinking a lot. And that takes extra thought to, to, you know, to, to set your, set your emotions aside for a minute and really think through how to communicate well. And that doesn't, that doesn't jive with social media. I mean, th th that's the problem yeah. that people are so you, everybody has the ability to have a voice now, whereas there were filters through time of that, you know, how a message got out there. Well, now anybody can reach your message just about now you put it out there it's out there right mm -hmm. and and <clears throat> it's so quick to grab and type and do and that's kind of what people's expectations of social media are so i think i think it's just i don't know social media for all the good things that it, it has provided it's really kind of the i don't know like the i don't know like it's made society dumb in a lot of ways right mm -hmm. and it's a time suck it's 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 wasting valuable hours of the day that you could be doing other things whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's going outdoors or i mean i see it all the time i see it every day i see it with you know with with kids you know that that their parents aren't setting strict guidelines around it and then they're yeah. sucked into it whether it's youtube or or whatever it's just i don't know man it's it's created a real 
nightmare of a situation, but yet in the same token, a lot of people can gain access. The internet's such a beautiful thing. People have access to all this information. We meet Robbie, we, whom we would have never met probably otherwise. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. get the message out there. So it's good and bad, but man, there's a lot of ways that someone can screw it up. Right. And that's the bad part about it. Uh, just a, just a time check here. Speaking of screwing it up, Robbie has made it past the 20 minute mark. Nope. So congratulations, Robbie. <laughs> we told him, we told Robbie off camera, if he made it past 20 minutes, he's, he doesn't suck. <laughs> the bad Honestly, guests are yeah, quick. I was looking at my watch because I was going to go, well, it's been great. All right. <laughs> we, we suck, Tim. You can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> you see what he did there? We suck. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't argue. <laughs> I, I, I uh, jumped on Robbie's podcast uh, a few days ago. And man, we had a good time before I knew it. The hour was up. Robbie's like, Oh, we try to keep these things within an hour. Yeah. And you know, it's up against a hard break. That's the podcast. <laughs> Shit, I we got to go. It's like, I could have talked forever. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. So, so Robbie, what are the best ways for people to engage with blood, blood origins and maybe kind of pick up the mantle for themselves in their own little sphere of influence? Yeah. So, um, we have a supporters program that the that Drury Outdoors is a part of. Uh, the supporters program is a very simple way for you to support what we do. Well, you know, the content we deliver daily, the journeys, the episodes, that all costs a lot of money. And all we ask of people is to donate the cost of a cup of coffee a month. To some people, that's three bucks a month. To others, that's $20 a month. It all depends on the type of coffee you drink and how much coffee you drink. Um, but, um, and... As a, as a sort of a thank you for someone to do that, obviously, a lot of people do it out of the generosity of their heart. We just want to support Blood Origins. But there's others that want something from it, and we get it. So on a monthly basis, we have a bunch of supporters just like you guys that have decided to step up and say, hey, we want to give your supporters something because we don't belong to anybody, but we sort of are the funnel through. So you can win once-in-a-lifetime hunts this May. We've just released the giveaway prizes for this May and the hunt in May is for a red stag and two boars in Spain. Oh, boy. Nice. Uh, three days, two nights, all meals, everything taken care of in a beautiful place in Spain. Um, we have a custom knife. Those are for the Australian supporters. So we have different pods of supporters around the world that uh-huh. we want to keep going and entice them. So we have very specific giveaways in different parts of the world as well. Um, so the supporters program is one and that you can just go on our website, bloodorigins.org, and it's right there that you can click on it. Um, engage with us. That's what we're all about. Send us good news. We like to receive good news about hunting. Hunting gets bashed every single day. Mm-hmm. I, I like to say that every day we wake up and the stone that we pushed up the mountain yesterday happens to be right at the bottom again. <laughs> and so we have to go and put our shoulder behind it every single day. And the better, the easiest way to push that stone up the mountain is when we hear good news about what hunters and hunting is doing around the world. Um, and often those, those things are very easy to talk about, say, in Africa. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people forget that there's stuff happening in Iowa. There's stuff happening in Illinois. There's good stuff happening everywhere, but nobody is sharing the good news because, unfortunately, one of the downfalls of hunters and hunting is that we are not zealots. When it comes to sharing content, like the antis are, the antis are zealots. Mm-hmm. Just look at a humane society post. How many likes do they have? 300,000 shared 30,000 times. 
hunting related post from SEI, 200 likes, two shares. So engage with us, send us content. We will push it out there. We will showcase the good news of hunting. Uh, and just, you know, fly the banner of representing who you're supposed to be as a hunter. Um, you can find us on Blood Origins everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Google. Okay. I don't think there's any others. I, I mean, I, I could send you content of like 50 hunts where I don't kill anything. <laughs> I don't think that's the content he's of, looking for. <laughs> like it, we're not in it for the kill. I get a lot of that. Tim, you can send me your facts <laughs> of the data of unsuccessful. <laughs> zero, 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 zero. <laughs> Time spent 10 hours, three hours, eight hours. <laughs> Money spent. Too much to count. I, I I have a question for you. So in your time doing this, you've interviewed a lot of people. You've you've done short films on a lot of folks. Like, what was the most impactful or the thing that stood out to you the most so far in in speaking with hunters and non-hunters? Because you've done you you've kind of highlighted both, right? Right. You know, the non-hunters, before I answer that. The non-hunter perspective is so valuable because it's not self-serving. And that's why we focused on it. There's non-hunters. My wife does not hunt, yet she's around a hunter 24-7. So she was the best person to describe what she knows about hunting because she doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to do it. But this is her perspective on what I see my husband being as a hunter. Invaluable. Yeah. to speak to a non-hunter because then they're like, oh, that's one of me. That's one of us. Mm. and not being self-serving. So the most impactful blood origins is two of them. Number one is Cuz Strickland, and it's actually ramped up in its impact for what I'm about to say. So when we went and filmed Cuz Strickland, my father was here. And I asked Cuz, I said, Cuz, can my father come with us to to see you. And he said, yeah, does he hunt? I said, well, he used to, he hunted back in the sixties in Africa. He's like, well, no, he needs to come hunt. So we organized a Australian hunting permit <laughs> through MDWFP, uh, you know, like a non-resident. He didn't have a hunting education, like, you know, the whole kid and caboodle just to make sure we're legal. And, uh, and my, but my father said to me on the way up there, he goes, what's this whole blood origins thing? I don't get it. I said, okay, okay. Yeah. So we filmed Cuz Strickland. So we sat in a blind the first night with Cuz, my dad, and me. My dad had a crossbow, never had an opportunity. The next day we filmed Cuz. Once I finished filming Cuz, and Cuz broke down in the episode, broke down. We finished filming and I went and I went up to my dad and I said, what do you think? And he goes, I get why you do Blood Origins now. Mm. That afternoon we went out and my dad shot a doe and we all thought he missed. And he couldn't walk, he had really bad back issues. And we just said, stay in the blind, stay in the blind. We'll go look for the deer. Turns out deer was 60 yards away, dead as a doornail. We start, we start hooping and hollering. I start dragging her out and he's in the food plot yelling at me saying, you're joking, right? You're joking. You planted that deer. And I said, what the hell are you doing in the food plot? You should be down back in the blind. Guy hasn't shot a rifle since 1965. This was 2016. And he poked it in the heart. Nice. Okay. Awesome. And it's, so that was super impactful to me. Well, it's even more impactful because my dad passed away last year mm. in Australia. 
so that episode will always, you know, just always. Yeah. The second one is likely just as impactful for many different reasons. So I'm lucky to be an American citizen today. And we filmed a guy called Jeremy Austin. And Jeremy Austin lost both his legs to an IED in Afghanistan. And I took Jeremy Austin quail hunting in Georgia. Uh, just, you know, the placed quail hunting and pheasant hunting. And we walked seven miles the first day or 10 miles the first day, seven miles the next day in sloppy Georgia red clay. And he had the most amazing time. But I'll still remember waking up. We shared a hotel room the first night. And I remember waking up in the morning and looking over and Jeremy was in the other bed. It was two queen beds in the room and his legs were sitting next to the bed. I was just like, jeez. It's like, how do you comprehend that, right? So we just are, and those are the two ones that stick out, but we're just humbled every single time we speak with someone because we have an ability to, we have ability to peel the onion layers back on that individual mm -hmm. and really get the gold and the heart out of them. And that's what sets us apart, I think. We have just this knack of getting something out of someone. Like we got something out of Jim Shockey that nobody got, has never seen out of Jim Shockey. We got stuff out of Will Primos that nobody's seen come out of Will Primos. Um, so it's just, you know, and then there's the legacy part of things, right? So we have two individuals that we filmed that have passed away already. Mm. That we now have their story, like mm -hmm. filmed Powerful. the way that we filmed it. So there's so many tentacles to the project now that are becoming more and more meaningful and more and more impactful. As you look back, you know, you said when you were growing up, you didn't have the opportunity to hunt, but your father obviously did and your, your grandfather did. You were sharing something on social media the other day about a letter your grandpa mm -hmm. wrote to you, correct? <laughs> Maybe share with us a little bit the context behind that. I found it fascinating. So here's the letter. So this is type wrote on that. Uh, you can't, you can, you can barely see it, but it's like that fine rice paper mm -hmm. back in the day, no computers typewritten letter. And the letter is dated November 19th, 1992. And it was, I was 15 years old at the time. And obviously I had been reading his stories and I'd gotten into this idea of like, I really want to hunt. And so I approached him and I said, Hey, I'd like to for, cause he gave each of the, the, the grandsons a 16th birthday present, like a trip. Mm -hmm. And my brother went fishing and I said to him, I wanted to go hunting. And he said, are you sure? And we started talking about it. And for one reason or another, he wrote then this letter to me. And the letter starts, dear Robbie, it was indeed a surprise to hear that you're keen to become a hunter. It must be, quote unquote, in the blood. I'm glad that you broached the subject yourself. Otherwise, I might have been accused of leading you astray. <laughs> and you would have thought that the rest of the letter would have been all poetical, you know, you know, about you know, what hunting means and, you know, why he does it. No, the rest of the letter is all about gun safety. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Practical. Um, like any good grandpa. Yeah. Typical, right? He's just like, and he talks about, you know, hunting is an exciting and healthy sport. You'll be spending days in fresh air, have the opportunity to see countries, forests, plains, mountains, and wetlands. Quite different to the confined tennis courts 
or the same 19 holes of golf. The latter you can start playing at 60. So it was just a, a meaningful letter to me. And, and honestly, the funny thing about it is we didn't go hunting. We never went hunting. But instead, we went to a place called the Okavango Swamps mm. in Botswana. And I fell in love with wetlands in, when I was 16 in the Okavango Swamps. And that's what brought me to the States to study wetlands that became a professor, <laughs> which led me here. Incredible. So you never know. It's, it's incredible. Just that it's so telling the insight of, of just that opening kind of line to you, you know, several decades ago mm-hmm. and the path that it, it forged. I, I find that stuff fascinating because in a much different way, you know, just my family's history and heritage with the company and it chose my career path without me knowing why I chose my career path because of the influences that it had on me. And I found that so interesting when you posted that the other day, it, even just having the word blood, you know, it's just like it's in your blood blood and, and to hear, I mean, when did you pull that letter back out? Like when was it that you found that letter again? I guess I've had it all the time. Um, And an interesting side note yeah. When we were thinking about the title, like what is what is Blood Origins going to be called? At the end of every episode, it's it ends the same way, regardless of who is being interviewed. It ends, everyone has their own story. This is mine. It's in the blood. And it was called the Blood Origins wasn't called Blood Origins to start with. It was called In the Blood. And I showed Will Primos our pilot episode. And I knew we had something because he looked at me and goes, how did you film this? I was like, well, you know, and I just sort of hummed and hard about it. And he goes, do you own it? And I said, well, we've got like a federal trademark in process. And he's like, no, 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 no. Who else has the name in the blood? And so we did some digging and there were two people in the space. There's a guy in California called Fire in the Blood, and there was this kid, this 12-year-old kid that was going to be the next Jim Shockey in Wisconsin. That's what his parents called him. <laughs> in the Blood Outdoors. And I told Will that. And he said, you need to pivot right now. Drop the name, change your name, pivot. And I was like, no, I've already recorded three episodes with the In the Blood at the end. Like, I can't change it. And then we just thought, like, what is it? What is it about hunting? What is it about where we come from? What is it about where we originate from? Where does our blood come from? And it was just like, all right, we'll call it Blood Origins, and we kept the ending because mm. it's still in the blood. Yeah, awesome, fascinating. Will Will has uh, given a lot of people a lot of insight through the years, and M- Mark in the early days, we're on those truth, I think truth Two and some of those early videos and had an influence on us and, and, and our company and, and, uh, just a, a smart guy beyond his years, really. I mean, he's been, he's was basically a forefather of our industry. Yeah. Really. When you look at it, there's a few guys like that and he was definitely one of them. That's hundred percent. Well, you know, I, uh, I can't say thank you enough for, for joining us because I, I've been fascinated with what you do for a while now. And, um, I'm even more excited to know that, you know, we can help each other out hopefully here in the 
the coming months, we'll be able to see some content from you that that's in DeerCast and kind of opening up our audience's eyes to mm-hmm. something different, something a new way to think about hunting, and that that interests me in in a lot of ways and trying to expand and grow, you know, as we continue on this cool path that we're on. So, uh, that's something to kind of look forward to, uh, down the pipeline here, hopefully. Heck yeah. I appreciate you guys. I really appreciate the time. Robbie, you got time to stick around for the question of the day? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Is it whether elephants are left-handed or right-handed? You keep ruining segments ahead of time. (laughs) Now we got nothing. I forgot about the question of the day, to be honest with you. (laughs) All right. So the question of the day is probably brought to you by Cold Steel. For over 40 years, makers of the world's strongest, sharpest knives, swords, tomahawks, machetes, culturally cutlery, and tools for everyday carry. Man, you almost got me with cutlery. (laughs) Cultery. (laughs) Yes, this is Jeff Sutton. My my question is... Sound effect. (laughs) Because I'm a new hunter. Why is it that turkey hunters always hunt in the morning time but never in the evening. Thank you. Well, we don't like to, to get in trouble with the law. No, yeah. So, well, not every state's like that. So Missouri, no. you you can only hunt till 1 p.m. And every state's different. But Iowa, you can hunt in the afternoons. I believe Illinois, you might be able to. Don't, don't quote, quote me on that, though. Um, so that's that's part of it. But the other part would be, a lot of times you'll go out and roost them the night before kind of hear generally speaking where they fly up mm-hmm. and then try to get as close as you can, but not too close in the morning. So when they fly down, you're in a good position to yep. uh, kill one. So, I, you know, I, I've thought about what if Missouri went to a uh, hunt all day and I don't know if I could make it like by one o'clock I'm toast. Well, Mark, like those guys, you know, they, they're like weeks on in been hunting, you know, they'll jump back and forth between Missouri and and Iowa. They got tags in both and they have guests coming into camp that have tags for both. And so they're on a freaking grind up there, man. I could, I could definitely not do what they do. (laughs) Robbie, have you been chasing turkeys this spring? Uh, Unfortunately, the, the side effect of blood origins is <laughs> the thing that I'm fighting for the most. I get to do the least. Mm-hmm. Interesting how that works. Speaking of the choir. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, no, I haven't chased any turkeys this year, unfortunately. Um, but I've killed it probably 50% of my turkeys in the evening. Okay. So you guys can hunt all day down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Texas and, uh, where else did I kill one in the evening? Oh, I can't remember now. Yeah, it'd but, be a different yeah. game. I'd like yeah, to try. just going back to the roost, like you say, you know, just catching them on the way back. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wildlife word. Ooh-wee. That's brought to you by Hunter Specialties, makers of the all new HS Strut DOD Signature Series Turkey Calls. Final roost. Heck yeah. Okay, guys. It's a multiple choice. What is a gastrolith? Is it. A, a tree limb that naturally attracts turkeys to roost on it. B, a prehistoric turkey roughly the size of a Toyota Prius. Dang. C, a type of pub. Or D, a stone swallowed by turkeys to aid in digestion. We're going to let the PhD start. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was a mammoth-sized turkey. Would that be something? Uh, But gastro meaning stomach. Lith meaning uh, stone or geology lithography. I am going with D, 
stone in the crop or the stomach of a turkey. He got fancy. Took the words right out of your mouth, didn't he? <laughs> I yeah. was about to say that. <laughs> He's Dang ruining it. everything about the show. I was going to say D, but I, I didn't get to this this point in the same way he did. <laughs> I knew it but wasn't still a, got there. I knew it wasn't a turkey the size of a Prius. <laughs> I just went, you know, I knew it wasn't a pub. Yeah, so. yeah. No. Um, yeah. So, so they're, they're like most birds. They will swallow small stones that they'll ingest into their gizzard. And that'll, that, that's, it's almost like having teeth in there that are helping to grind up the food as that gizzard contracts and Robbie, is that right? Because like, I've never had anybody on here to say otherwise, and I'm definitely not going to call them out. So back check. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Oh, uh, okay. uh, crocodiles have the same thing. Mm-hmm. In crocodiles, fact, you'll find like big old stones, but the crocodiles also do it supposedly for buoyancy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, ballast. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, on DeerCast, you can see a video of me dissecting the crop from the turkey that I killed here recently that we'll talk about next week. And you will see actually some stones in the mix of other goodies that are in that crop. Really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. You call it a gastrolith in your video? I didn't. Loser. Sorry. <laughs> I can go back and edit it in if that'll make me better. Uh, well, how did you I know? I could be better. I could try. When did you come up with this word? I want to know. Uh, this afternoon. So you did that video and then that made you think about the wildlife word. Yeah. So in essence, you were working when you were hunting. Hundred uh, <laughs> percent. That's the name of the game. It's a shame you did it on a Saturday. <laughs> I'll, I'll take Friday off. Okay. <laughs> Robbie, thanks so much for hopping on, man. It, it's been awesome. I, I I just can't tell you how excited like we are as a company and us personally about the mission of Blood Origins, and we'll do whatever we can to help you guys out. Thank you. No, humbled and grateful to be on here and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Any parting shots for us before we head out? No, just uh, be thinking, constantly thinking about what you're representing to the people that aren't hunters. Heck yeah. Very good. All right. All All right. right. Thanks everyone for watching. Tell your friends about the show. Until next time. Peace out. See ya. DeerCast is giving you the chance to hunt with Mark and Terry Drury. Head over to DeerCast.com to enter.